All right, welcome to another episode of The Hezzy. This is episode four here. We're aiming for five days a week, short form podcast, giving you takes. You ain't gonna get anywhere else. This is your boy, Alk, and this is always brought to you by basketballgods.net. So here we go, February 11th. You know, after year one of the Luca Trey trade, people were deeming it one of the worst draft day trades of all time. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Bill Simmons. But no, that, you know, that was kind of the consensus. Like, oh man, Atlanta really messed up. If you recall the rough start that Trey Young had to his career. And now in 2021, it looks way closer than people I think thought it would be. Right? I mean, they're, they're both offensive juggernauts who you have to hide defensively. Both of them are having to mature as leaders. And, you know, look, overall, I think you still have to give the edge to Luca simply because of his size, right? Like, it's it's harder to take the ball out of his hands. It's going to be harder to trap him. And we all know when it comes playoff time, like, size does matter. And little guards tend to struggle when the physicality is picked up. Now, we haven't seen Trey in the playoffs yet, right? But, you know, the size, the long-term durability. But as far as skill for skill and impact, they're pretty damn close. And, you know, I will say this, as small as Trey is, I do, I do think that he's built pretty solid. I think that he he appears to be durable. He, you know, he falls well and he he protects himself pretty dang well, right? So I say all that to get into the lead-in. The two met last night on ESPN the early game, the Hawks and the Mavericks. Both teams, I think, kind of underwhelming so far this season, right? Both teams with playoff aspirations and they're not where they need to be. And they've both been hit with injuries and in, in, in COVID as well. Before we touch on the game and what happened, though, we can talk about, you know, Luca Trey, who you want. And I, I get it. Like most people are going to lean Luca. I understand that. But I do think there are some people that that would make the argument for Trey Young. And I'm not mad at that either. I think the more interesting question right now would be who has done a better job building around these two young stars, Atlanta or Dallas? Let me run off some of the young players here. So Atlanta, you got Cam Reddish. DeAndre Hunter, both came in that draft. One of those picks, I think, came from the, the trade. No, I don't know. They did a lot of wheeling and dealing. You got Kevin Herter. They bring in Clint Capella, John Collins. And then we know, I'm not going to add the veteran guys that are there kind of, you know, short term perhaps, right? And then for Dallas, obviously, you bring in Porzingis to be Lucas' sidekick. Josh Richardson instead of Seth Curry. That hasn't gone well, right? Tim Hardaway Jr., Jalen Brunson, a second round pick. That was a great pick. I got something to say about second round picks here later in this podcast. And then Maxi Kleba. Now, I think I like Atlanta. I think I like Atlanta's core of players. Obviously, they have, they're younger. There's a little more potential room to grow with them. Um, And Dallas's guys are kind of more what they are. I think I like what they've done around Trey more than what they've built around Dallas. Granted, Atlanta had more of a clean slate, right? They had they had more assets to work with, more cap space to work with. But perception ultimately is reality with these, these NBA narratives. If Atlanta builds a powerhouse around Trey, we look back 10 years from now, it, it, this argument of Trey Luka may look a lot different. That's the reality of the situation. So this game, Atlanta, it felt like they were kind of in control of for most of it. They didn't really like blow the doors off of anything, but they just... They just had the lead for most of the game. And what you saw was John Collins was eating up Kristaps Porzingis in the pick and roll action. That's just a tough matchup for him. He's one of the quicker 
more explosive forwards in the league. And we know KP is, is moving kind of stiff, man. And he's going to get a pass for a while, right? He's coming off the surgery. But it, it led to Porzingis only playing 19 minutes in the game, and he didn't finish the game. And part of that reason was Dallas got good Willie last night. They got good Willie. Pause. No, but look, man, Willie Cauley-Stein, you know, I, I've watched his whole career. I, I remember him at Kentucky where I thought he was going to be like a, a defensive juggernaut. That's what it appeared like his trajectory was. Watched him in Sacramento have his ups and downs. And then, of course, last year, his short stint with my dubs is where I paid even more attention to him, right? He's a very likable dude. I think he's a, he's a guy like to – this sounds silly, but it seems like he's one of those guys to know him is to love him from a distance, obviously. But that being said, on the basketball court, there's not many dudes that have done less with that much talent in the league. Like Willie Cauley-Stein, his physical attributes, his talent, he should be much better. He should be a much better player. You know, I hate to say this, but maybe it'll motivate him, you know? So again, I like him. He seems like a great dude, but he's just, he doesn't, he, he's just inconsistent. It doesn't seem like he loves basketball is what it is. In fact, I think he loves football, <laughs> but uh, that's, that's a story for another time, but they got good Willie Colley And I think it's a good match for him in Dallas playing with a guard like Luca. That's going to get him stuff real easy and keep him engaged. Right. So Atlanta has the lead. Second half, Tim Hardaway Jr., you know, starts heat checking. When he gets hot, he gets hot, right? I think we've seen that for years. So he he rattles off like three, four threes in a row. And then Jalen Brunson gets going. And they climb right back in this game. And we end up getting kind of the light show we expected this offensive uh, back and forth, right? It's so funny. There's so many similarities. And Trey and Luca are going to forever be connected. And I, I also think they have a lot of the same issues. One of them being, I think that both teams are over-reliant on those two, you know, lead guards, lead ball handlers. Luca has the ball too much. Trey has the ball too much. It's not, you know, it, it puts up gaudy numbers and it's spectacular to watch at times, but for the, for the sake of actually winning and making a good team that's, that's a contender, it's a little too much in my opinion. And I think it needs to be less usage. And, uh, but what you saw was Brunson on ball, and I think that helped with the run that Dallas made in the second half. I and mean, he, he's, he's a nice, solid player, man. And then the other similarity that I think both Luka and Trey have is they both get a little too cute when it comes to getting into their own shot at times. And more specifically with Luka, he has this snatchback move that at his size, frankly, it's unnecessary. And what I mean by snatchback, I, I didn't say step back, snatchback, he hangs the ball out like he's going to dribble, and then he snatches it back into a, a three. And it looks really pretty. I, I don't see, I think that is probably a good portion of why he his percentage is down from the three-point line. Luca's a good shooter. It's the extra stuff he does into the shot that's unnecessary at his size. And then with Trey... What I've noticed is he likes to, we've, we see how good he is at manipulating the defense with his eyes, but sometimes he overdoes it and he tries to do it into his own shot. Like he stares down a teammate, he's looking this way and then boom, he takes a shot where his eyes have barely a split second to lock on the target, the rim. And I get it at Trey's size. He's got to be deceptive. He does. I get it. But I think for the most part with both of those dudes, some of that stuff is just more style than substance. I think they can get their shots off. Less is more. I find myself saying that more and more when it comes to basketball. 
But in the end, Atlanta had a shot with about five, six seconds down a basket. And Trey Young flopped on a Willie Cauley Stein screen. And it ended up in a Gallinari kind of leaning mid range contested J, a shot you don't want. And Trey, for my taste, Trey got too demonstrative towards the referees. He ran up screaming. Like, I'll, I'll put it to you like this if it was Draymond or somebody like that, they'd have, they'd have probably got a, a T, even though the final whistle had blown. They would, have, but, you know, I think for Trey, you got, it's like, look, bro, you are a flop god. It, it, call it what you want. You know, you're getting to the line a ton. You can't complain. When you flop and flail around like you do, I don't want to hear it. I'm sorry. And so Dallas ends up getting the win as they continue to try to right the ship here. I think they've won like three in a row now at home. Another game I had my eye on last night was, I had my eye on Charlotte every night. I've, I've said it before. I think they're really fun to watch. But they were playing Memphis. John Moran is back in the lineup. Is it time to start to worry about Jaron Jackson Jr.? Hasn't played a minute this year. Remember, he had knee surgery, meniscus surgery in the bubble. That was in August, mid-August. And so now here we are approaching the six-month mark. And when you look into meniscus tears, everybody's different. Everybody heals different, right? But the, the window to come back and play is three to six months. So now he is at the end of that window. And I get it. Look, you, you want to be... You want to be conservative with your 20-year-old seven-foot, you know, potential all-star. Why push it? I get that. I just think it's something to keep an eye on here. Like, if this extends into the spring and he still hasn't played, now I'd start to worry because, well, you know, now it's just way beyond the six-month mark. And that would suck, man, because Memphis is a fun team and that that kid has a potential to be, I think, one of the more exciting modern big men in this game. And to Memphis's credit, man, they continue to persevere. It seems like it doesn't really matter who they roll out there. They're going to play hard, grit and grind. They've still kept that culture. And, you know, they it's kind of like a team of underdogs or overachievers, right? Like Dylan Brooks. And this is what I was getting at about the second round picks, man. Like, I, I think I have a pretty good eye for talent. And I, I know a lot of fans do, right? Like if you pay attention and you watch, when you watched Dylan Brooks at Oregon, wasn't it like super obvious? Like, yo, this dude's going to be a player, right? Like I'm not quite sure what he's going to be, but he's going to be a player. Like with his his competitive spirit, his size and IQ, like any team would love to have him on their bench. And now he's kind of overachieved. I'm not a huge fan of his shot selection. He's a little irrationally confident at times. But, I mean, he's a solid player they got in the second round. You look now, they've got Desmond Bain this year. They acquired Grayson Allen from Utah. I think Grayson was at the end of the first round. But I think that when I look at it in hindsight, there is a trend for these second-round pick guys that the fans, we are like, yeah, like Montrez Harrell, he was killing people at Louisville. Like, duh, he's a good NBA player. I'm not saying that these dudes should have been lotto picks, but I think once you get into, like, the 20s, that's where a lot of these second round guys that become very solid NBA players probably should have gone. And, 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 and in the 20s, you're seeing these front offices take these gambles on just pure potential rather than like what these guys have done. Anyway, uh, that, that game, that Memphis-Charlotte game, Memphis just sprayed the block. They hit 23 three-pointers at 46% and Charlotte just couldn't keep up with that pace. 
Late game Bucks Suns lived up to the billing. Here's my spicy take for the day. Give me DeAndre Ayton over Carl Anthony Towns. I'll say it one more time for you. Give me Ayton over Towns. And that's not to say right now today, but moving forward. Ayton had himself, what do he have, like 17 points. He continues to rebound well and play his part. His touch is, his touch is nice. He's got as, about as nice of a touch around the basket um, as any seven-footer in the league. He's got that elbow jumper. Um, he's, leaving, he's still leaving a lot to be desired as far as playing physical, particularly offensively, right? Like, he's gotten better defensively being physical, but offensively, like, he'll get a mouse in the house and he'll still fade away on him because it's just his natural. It's what he's comfortable doing. I'd love to see him drop step and put a shoulder into somebody every now and then, but it's just kind of not who he is. But I think that he already is a better defender than Carl Anthony Towns. And I think that moving forward, he just projects as more of a winning player. What do y'all think? Anyway, let's get into the game. Uh, look, Monty Williams... I don't know. I haven't heard anybody bring it up, but he's got to be in the coach of the year conversation, right? The Suns sit fourth in the West and they've had guys in and out of the lineup. Crowder was out. CP had missed the last game and he shuffled the rotation a lot, right? Campaign. Um, Etwan Moore is now like the backup guard. He's done a lot of like shuffling. And I think it speaks to the fact that he has full buy-in from his roster. One, two, the Suns are extremely deep. Like it kind of almost doesn't matter who he shuffles in there. They've, they they're all can play, but they're staying ready. And now you saw Frank Kaminsky in the starting lineup in place of Crowder, who again was out. He returned for this game. And Kaminsky, by the way, they picked up off the waiver wire. So the fourth seed in the West is starting a guy that the Kings waived. It's just, it's funny how things work out like that. Um, and look, the Bucks came in splashing. Brent Forbes, a.k.a. Diet Brogdon, he hit like four or five threes in the first half. What's crazy about his shooting is he jumps so high. He's kind of got like a Redick Ray Allen type jumper. He was banging him down. And then uh, Bobby Crazy Eyes Portis had himself a productive night off the bench. And, and it just felt like the Suns were kind of having a hard time matching the physicality of the Bucks, Like Aiton and, and Frank the Tank. Frank the Tank is not a really a fitting name for Kaminsky, right? Because he's kind of a finesse stretch big as well. And that duo, as nice as they are spreading the floor and, and finishing and helping the offense, they're, they're low-key soft, right? They're not as physical as you would like. And you see Crowder come in and try to make up for that, right? Crowder, you know, is their one kind of guy that wants to bang. You know, I'm not saying they're not willing to, but he, he's an actual guy that wants to bang in the paint. I think the question is, can he hold up physically through this this 72 game season? He went down late in this game. I think it was just a, a knee contusion. I think he was good. But, you know, you know, his playing style, he's going to always be in and out of the lineup. Now, Giannis, 47 points. And the headliner is 17 of 21 from the free throw line. He's taking his time and he's he, he's like he's like Carl Malone up there now. He's like freezing everybody out, you know, taking motion shots. And hey, whatever's clever, like whatever works for you. That's a very obviously acceptable percentage for him. I will say this though, I do think I think they need to swallow the whistle on him a little bit, to be honest with you. It's almost like the Shaq thing, right? Where 
I mean, if you're going to blow every whistle on every bit of contact Giannis gets, he's going to shoot 21 free throws. I think it's a bit extreme, man. I get he's the two-time MVP and he deserves his respect, but if you ask me, he's getting a little too many whistles. Maybe it was just that night. I don't know. But the Suns were down, you know, as big as 16, because again, Milwaukee was hot from behind the arc in the first half. They come clawing back in the second half on the back of the Chris Paul-Devin Booker duo. We've talked about it in the past, how those two haven't exactly, they seem to play better. If you look at the on-off numbers, right? They, they both perform better when one of them's off the floor. They haven't really sunk up yet. And you're seeing Devin Booker operate in the Kobe elbow a whole lot, a whole lot of mid-rangers and difficult shots. And to his credit, he was hitting them last night. It's funny because it's like the, the Suns, they spread the floor so much. They have four or five shooters on the floor at all time that it almost pushes Booker in the paint. He's like, well, I got all these guys spread out. Let, let me get in the paint and into the mid-range. And there was one play in particular late where he catches it at the elbow, the Kobe spot, and I think Middleton was on him, and he hit him with a nasty jab hezzy where he jabbed, paused, and then went, ripped through, got himself to the line. Um, and so the Suns found themselves with the lead in Milwaukee with about five, was it five? No, it was, I take that back. It was like two between three and two seconds left on the clock and a shot from Milwaukee to win the game. And Giannis catches and takes kind of like a pull-up jumper at the free throw line. Now, Drew Holiday was not playing in this game. And he's out for COVID protocol. He's not hurt. But here's the thing. This is ultimately the problem with the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Giannis has to swallow his pride in those scenarios and not take that shot. Middleton was open in the corner. I know there wasn't much time, but like, let me put it to you like this. The Suns are in their huddle. Monty Williams, they're, they're discussing their defensive assignments. Out of the five bucks on the floor, who do you want taking the pull-up jumper? Giannis. He's playing into the defensive hands with taking that shot. And I get it. He's Superman. He's the two-time MVP. I totally understand why he took it and why he thinks he should take it, but he still shouldn't take it. I'd have rather had any of the other four bucks on the floor take that pull-up jumper. Now, it's a different story if you can get to the rim. But given with two seconds on the clock, he couldn't do that. So he clanks it, and the Suns get the win. All right, I'm, I'm, a, I'm at my... I think I've given y'all enough takes for today. Again, five days a week. The Hezzy, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. I'm out, y'all.